in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Oh, Heavenly Father, just pray that our ears, our hearts, our minds would be open to your truth. Father, that I'd present that in a way and then it would be received. That we'd be open to listening to the calling of your Holy Spirit. And Father, that we would respond to that to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Great verse that most people know. I'd probably guess that there's at least one person that has that hanging up on the wall of their house somewhere. It's that well known. What you may not know about that verse is it's also in Joel 2.32. You know, go home today and read through that section of Joel 2. It's really cool. It's part of the promise, actually, of the giving of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's always really cool for me to see what's thought of as a New Testament-only teaching clearly and completely proclaimed in the Old Testament. It's worth your time to go home and read that today. If you read the whole chapter of Joel 2, you might even see some of Revelation 9 in there. <clears throat> you know, but for the past six weeks, we have really stressed evangelism. You know, I loved hearing in more that once that Harvest did not create an event or have people sign up for an event and why we did not do that. Evangelisms and missions is not an event. It's not a church program. It is a lifestyle and needs to be a lifestyle for each and every one of us. Should do my slides here, huh? I knew I'd forget something. <laughs> there you go. Each and every one of us has a call from God. You know, in the book that we use as that teaching for evangelism, is called Evangelism as Exiles. There's a small section in the conclusion. We didn't get to that as part of the, the uh, series, but it says, Viewing all of life as mission. As we're going to see today, sharing the gospel needs to be our life mission. A paraphrase of something else that was taught a couple weeks ago was the joy of our salvation should lead each of us to praise and to declaration of the gospel. So back to Romans 10, verse 9, which is also really well known, says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now this is God's truth. If you're here today and you don't know that Jesus is Lord, and that God raised him from the dead, now is the time to act. Today is the time to act. Accept Jesus as your Lord. Believe that he died and he rose again for your sin, and you will be saved. That is a promise in Scripture. That's by far the most important thing I'm going to say today. Accept Jesus as your Savior today. So the total text in Romans 10, it deals with each and every one of us. If you're listening, I'm telling you this pertains directly to you. And you know, if you're not listening, it pertains to you anyway, so you probably should start listening. <laughs> yeah. you know, today's Mission Sunday, I'm sure you've figured that out by now. If you haven't, we're doing a really poor job. 
But for a moment, I want to focus on the people that are not here today. You know, I could be talking about those in Africa that I've absolutely been blessed to minister to with the Grace Extended Ministries. Um, we talked about Jem a little earlier today. Also with C Partners in Boma. We went there this last year. Or maybe I'm talking about those in the Middle East or China where it might be illegal to be a Christian or even to speak the name of Jesus to someone else. Or maybe I could just be talking about your neighbor who's never heard the true gospel. Maybe they're lost in a false teaching that claims to be the gospel. Could even be a family member I'm talking about today. The first part of verse 14, which I just read, speaks of every person in every country in the world. It says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? Hard to see there. So it's kind of a rhetorical question because obviously that they cannot believe if they haven't if they can't call on the name of the person that they have not believed in. So then you go back to verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If these people cannot call on the name of the Lord, then how then can they be saved? The next part of verse 14 also deals with all of these people. I don't know where I am on that thing, so I'm way ahead of myself. So I'm a newbie, you have to forgive me for that. But the next part of verse 14 again deals with all these people as well but also needs to be a piercing message to each and every one who claims Jesus as Savior. Because it says, And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? Again, a rhetorical question. They can't. Ask yourself this question. How can someone believe if they've never even heard the true gospel? How can they believe in the true gospel if they've never even heard it? You know, verse 9 said, we read, If you confess with... Jesus says, Lord, and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How can someone do that if they haven't even heard? The last part of verse 14 then asks, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? This is the part that pertains to each and every one of us here today. It's another rhetorical question is the obvious answer is that they don't hear it. If we don't preach it, each one of us as followers of Christ, they cannot hear it. That's why I said this pertains to absolutely every single one of us here today. We need to answer God's call to preach the gospel to the world, the world right around us, the entire world. So exactly how does that work? I mean, how do you know what God's calling you to? You know, how does anyone know what God's calling them to? The Bible tells you, seek God, pray at all times, listen for the calling of the Holy Spirit, respond to that. You know, if you do that, you're going to be amazed sometimes at what happens. You know, last year for uh, Mission Sunday, Brian Heerwagen from Delta Ministries was here. And he talked a little bit about this caravan, he called it, where, you know, God kind of puts things into place and ends up being a caravan that brings you to a new place. Anybody remember that besides me from last year? Thank you. I didn't dream it. That's good. (laughs) But... My story is exactly that, even though I didn't know a lot of it at the time. You know, in my early 20s, if you would have said, Mark, are you really a Christian? I would have said, well, yeah, obviously, you're crazy. Of course I am. You know, I was born in a Christian home, raised in a Christian home, have my Bible, you know, I, I believe in Jesus. So, yeah, of course I am. Then an interesting thing happens. I was going to say a funny thing, but it wasn't funny at all because my dad got cancer at a young age. I was probably 21 when he went through his first go around with cancer, and by the time I was 24, he had not survived it. So, really had a big effect on my life. 
I lost a piece of paper here, so I'm not going to be able to read his letter to you. I don't know what I put there. But he had a small insurance agency. So as he was dying, I'm just watching this guy. He's got peace. He's got a surety of salvation. He has absolute confidence. I didn't know any of that. I, didn't, I couldn't understand that at all. So he wrote a letter that I was going to read, but I left it probably over there somewhere. But he had just a short letter to all his clients because he had that insurance agency. And he talks about he's losing the battle of cancer, but he's win, already won the war of life because of his absolute faith and confidence in salvation in Jesus Christ. And he ends the letter by a call to them to accept Jesus as their Savior if they haven't done it. I mean, what an example that was to me. I couldn't believe it. You know, I asked my mom if I could have his Bible after he died, and I got it, and I, you know, I open up his Bible, and I look, and man, there's actually notes in the margins. This guy actually reads this stuff and actually pays attention to it. So now I have a wide margin Bible, and I got the margins filled like you can't believe. That's my dad's influence on me. It really brought me around. So I understood that I could call myself a Christian all I wanted to. I wasn't living that life. So fast forward 10 years. We moved here from Illinois when I was 35. And if you had asked me at 34.99 if I was ever going to study Mormonism and what the teachings of the LDS Church was, I would have said, are you crazy? Why would I do that? Why in the world would I ever do that? And then we move here. And the first family that comes to visit us has three kids exactly the same age as our three kids. Michelle wasn't part of our family at the time. And they're a Mormon family, and they welcome us to the neighborhood. They're so friendly to us. They're so go outgoing. And then the guy across the fence, the Hammers are Mormons. And there's Mormons over here. There's Mormons over there. It's like, I don't even know what a Mormon is, to be honest. Um, when we moved here, we, wanted to, we were looking for a Christian school for the kids. Tim was in first grade, and Faith was just packed. They had no room. So we stopped over at Twalton Valley Junior Academy just up the road here. And I can remember sitting there with Jackie and we're reading the things. And I see there's Seventh-day Adventist, SDA. And I remember plainly leaning over to go, SDA, is that the Mormons? Because I knew they had a three-letter acronym, but that's how little I knew about Mormonism. I had no clue what they believed. But because there were so many around us, I said, I've got to figure out what these people believe so I can talk to them a little bit and know them. found a great book by Ron Rhodes. It was my first into it because so I was reasoning from the scriptures with the Mormons. So I learned and taught myself how to speak to more, how to witness and share the true gospel with Mormons without driving them away. Got to the point where the Mormons were skipping our house. I mean, they go around our cul-de-sac and skip us. I mean, I don't know, I didn't see the black X on the house, but there was something up there. So I remember, and maybe Jackie remembers this differently. I know that doesn't happen to any other people in here. But she asked me, so what are you going to do with all this knowledge? And for some really odd reason, I said, well, I'd really like to teach it. I didn't have the gift of teaching. I didn't think. You know, had the gift of you know, reaching out to people, empathy and encouragement. Hopefully somebody still thinks I may have that gift. But, of course, you can only have one gift, right? That's what the Bible says. Please, everybody say no. Yeah. But... I didn't think I had the gift of teaching, yet that came out of my mouth. You know, are you crazy? I'm not going to teach. And here I was teaching a class on how to witness the Mormons here at Harvest. And then a member of the church that's still here today, somewhere over there, um, didn't ask him if I could use his name, so I won't, but he had family members that were in Jehovah's Witnesses, that were Jehovah's Witnesses. And he said, could you teach a class or something similar like that on Jehovah's Witnesses? 
So then I learned about what Jehovah's Witnesses believe, why they believe it, what they think about the Bible. So people could go and talk to them about the true gospel without pushing them away. Then Islam became a huge part in the world and in our world. So I learned about Islam and how to witness to, more, to the Muslims and talk to them and to share the true gospel with them without driving them away. No way I was ever going to do any of that. And yet here I am. Fast forward another 10 years or so, and if you would have asked me three or five years ago if I was going to go to Africa as a missionary, consistently go, yeah, I won't guess what I would have said. Are you crazy? Yeah. You know, why? I'm not going to do that. I want to go to Africa, yeah, but I want to go, I want to go on a safari. That's what I want to do. <laughs> I'm not going to go into the bush and witness to people. And yet here I am. I've done it with Jem numerous times. I've been to Boma with Harvest. Uh, I've got another trip back to Uganda in June that I'm actually leading. Uh, blows my mind. <laughs> you know, so I'm actually building a team for that now. So if that's something you're interested in, I'd love to talk to you about that. But... One thing I've learned, I'm never going to say, I'm never going to do that. You know, Jim has a church plant in Siberia. Was it in the plans for Michael Gray, the leader of Jem, the founder of Jem? But we've got a church plant in Siberia. Do I ever want to go to Siberia? <laughs> nah. No, I do not want to go to Siberia, but I'm never going to say I'm never going. Because then God's going to say, yeah, you want to bet? There you go. <laughs> so... But, you know, doing all these things brings incredible blessings, and the Bible promises these blessings. You know, number one, I now have absolute confidence and surety in my salvation, just like my dad did. You know, I've been able to help many and be a resource to people that want to witness to family members, friends, neighbors in Mormonism, you know, that are lost in the Jehovah's Witnesses, even Muslims in the area, um, they're blinded by a different gospel, which Paul clearly states in Galatians 1 is no gospel at all. We need to know how to witness them, and I've been blessed to be able to do that with people. I was blessed this last year to mentor to 12 young men in Boma. Um, I just had a week with them, and those guys need so much more training. Now, that may be a hint to someone here. It's just not a subtle one, because I'm not very subtle, but these guys need more training. You know, when I was doing the, uh, the Bibles in Africa, and I'm probably way behind on these slides again. I should have just not had slides. But uh, no, I'm not behind. How about that? But when I was able to hand Bibles out in Africa that Harvest supplied last year, watching the joy on people, they get the Word of God in their hands that they haven't had, and the joy when they get handed a Bible. The picture on the magnet that you have is Pastor Dennis handing out Bibles. I got to witness that. It was so cool, an incredible blessing in my life. This last trip, I prayed with a woman who was a Reformed sorceress. Didn't know it at the time when I was preaching, but I had shared 1 John 2.9. It says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. So she came forward in front of the entire village gathered there. And again, I didn't know what she was, but I learned afterwards that just recently, up until recently, she was a feared sorceress in that village. People feared her. And yet she comes forward in front of the entire village to confess that she still felt hatred towards her neighbor and asked me to pray for her. You know, and I'm sure she was blessed by that, but she has absolutely no idea how much that blessed me. When I found out what, uh, the courage to come up in front of all those people and confess that, that was an incredible blessing to me as well. You know, I've heard of and seen many, many coming to Christ. Some like the sorceress, 
others who are witch doctors who practiced evil, uh, but also, quote, good people come to Christ. Remember, God desires that none should perish. You know, and these types of blessings are promised to all of us. Um, most of Proverbs 10 contrasts the righteous with the wicked. You know, and as we've already heard, already heard, there's only one way to righteousness, and that is through Jesus. You know, for those who are righteous, there's an abundance of blessings that are promised throughout the entire uh, chapter of Proverbs 10. Verse 6 states, Blessings crown the head of the righteous. Verse 7 says, The memory of the righteous will be a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. Now, the memory of the righteous, that was my dad. That's still my dad. I still carry that letter around. Forty years later, I still have my dad's letter that I refer to and I share with people. The blessings of the righteous. And Jeremiah, I'm going to ask Jeremiah to turn off the recording. When I talked about a mudslide, it just happened on Mount Elgon and some people had died. You can turn it on again, Jeremiah. Thank you. Evans was up there right before that mudslide. He got caught in that mudslide on the way down. He was killed. He was buried. It took us four days to find his body. He's buried in that much mud. So they find his body. They have a funeral for him. And 15 more people come to Christ at his funeral. 15 people came to Christ at his funeral. How many people are going to come to Christ at my funeral? Man, I'd hope one or two. 15 people came to Christ at his funeral. The memory of the righteous will be a blessing. My dad, Evans, examples of that. So the Bible makes the call to share the gospel often. You know, most famously is the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Um, I'm going to go through this verse by verse a little bit, 16 through 20. You know, 16 and 17 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Does that blow your mind after everything that they saw that some still doubted? Really, how could you doubt? You saw Jesus do miracles, heal people, uh, feed 5,000 people. You saw him rise from the dead, and yet you're still doubting. Um, you know, maybe it was just a, wow, I can't believe what's going on here. I don't understand it. Or maybe some really weren't sure. We don't know. Uh, do remember, though, they weren't given the gift of the Holy Spirit at that time, so maybe they're still figuring things out. So then verse 18 says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in both heaven and in earth. The full power of heaven with all the power and the resources to use it. Jesus has that. You know, did that enthuse those people that were doubting? You know, did it wipe out their doubts? Again, we really don't know. Uh, but if they really heard what Jesus said, how could that not fill them with confidence? Now let's go back to ourselves. If we just heard what Jesus said, all authority is given to Jesus on heaven and on earth, how can that not fill us with complete confidence to go out and share his word? Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. If you follow Jesus and believe in his words, you've got to be obeying what he calls you to. Verse 19 then, you know, therefore, because Jesus has all authority, therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That was what the disciples were to do. That's what we are supposed to be doing. Exactly that. Make disciples, baptizing in the one name of the three persons that make up the one and only God. One God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then the teaching to obey, Jesus goes in verse 20. 
teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So not some of what Jesus said, but everything Jesus commanded. We need to be looking at, searching out, and obeying. And then Jesus closes with another tremendous confidence builder. He will always, always be with us. Then Acts 1.8 has a little more detail when Jesus is telling the disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Samaria and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The bottom line is that means everyone and everywhere. To those we know and love and to those we don't know as well or maybe even dislike, going all the way to places and cultures foreign to us like we've heard today, maybe even on the other side of the world. Now spread the gospel. Share Jesus. That's what we're called to do. Each one of us that trusts in Jesus has been given the same Holy Spirit that the 11 were given in the second chapters of Acts. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and you will be my witnesses. Therefore, we must also, each and every one of us, be witnesses for Jesus Christ. So, just to wrap up what we've got, Jesus has all authority everywhere. He will always be with us. Each one of us has access to the entire word of God at our fingertips. The disciples didn't have that. We got it here or on our phones. It's right at our fingertips. Each one of us who's accepted Jesus as Savior has that same power of the Holy Spirit that was given to the disciples. So, recently I was talking over this with a friend. He's actually the founder of GEM that I was talking to. This. And he said, you know, with all that that God's given us, it's actually kind of a slap in the face to say, I can't do it. It's a slap in the face to God to say, I can't do it. Look at what we've got. I mean, everything we've got, God's given us everything we need. We need to respond to that call. So, last Mission Sunday, I read through 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21 in a little short deal up here, and I commented on it. Matt mentioned this exact same passage a few weeks ago. Well, you're still going to get a rerun today, or maybe a re-rerun, I guess, um, because this short passage confirms every point I'm trying to make today. Yeah. Hmm. Did I miss a slider? Let's see if they're not in order. Oh, well. Oh, I don't have this up here. That's right. Oh, forget that. <laughs> All right. Verse 17, again, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Now, each one of us became new when we accepted Jesus as our Savior. The gift of the Holy Spirit is a huge part of that. A question to ask yourself in your own life, is it evident to you yourself and also to others that you now serve Christ? Are you different? And I'm going to say it, we all should be. Verse 18 then goes, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So all of this, as we just said, is 100% a gift from God. We are reconciled to God only because of what Jesus did for us. He took on flesh. He suffered and died for each one of us, and then he rose again. And God has given each of us this ministry of reconciliation. So what message are we to share? Move on to verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That is huge. Our sins are wiped away only because of the love of God for us and what Jesus did for us. 
Jesus is the way and the only way to salvation. That right there is the message of reconciliation. And then if you didn't get the command the first time, here it is in verse, the second part of verse 19. And he has committed to us, each and every one of us, the message of reconciliation. We are given the gift of salvation as well as the, as the gift, the responsibility, and the privilege of sharing the way to that gift of salvation with everyone else. And then if you didn't get it the first time or the second time, go to verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. Why in the world would God choose to use me? Why would he choose to use you? Why would he choose to use us? Why does the Holy Spirit make this point about we are supposed to do this three times in that little short passage? You can go all the way back to Psalm 4.3 for a clue. It says, Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Did you hear that? You are set apart for God. Each one of us that has accepted Jesus is set apart for God. God sets us apart and chooses to use us in order that we might be drawn closer and closer to him. It's because he loves us and wants us to do his will, so be obedient to these commands because that is how we show that we truly love him. God desires, again, that none should perish. Look at the very end of verse 20. It says, We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. There's the message we need to spread into the world. With all your heart, implore people through Christ to be reconciled to God. It's that simple. It is a beautiful message, and it's summarized beautifully in the next verse, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, are you sharing that message? If not, I think you need to ask yourself, I mean really ask yourself, why not? You know, could it be pride? Is it fear? What other people think of us? Might it actually be a matter of faith? I really take 2 Corinthians 13.5 seriously. It says, examine yourselves to see if whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. The teaching to test ourselves comes really often in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 1.28 tells us to examine ourselves before taking part in communion. Romans 12.2 says to be transformed by the renewing of our mind in order to test and approve what God's will is. Lamentations 3.40 says, Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. And note that this teaching never says to examine anybody else. Examine yourself. I need to examine myself. So, as I examine myself, I have to look at and ask myself, am I being obedient to God's calling? Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. In John 14.23, you know, I started with Romans 10:13 today. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But Jesus also says, here we go, back to it. In Matthew 7:21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This statement by Jesus should shake you to the core if you're not really following him. I certainly don't want to be that guy that's up there and thinks I'm all right, like I was when I was 20 years old. And then I have Jesus say, I never knew you. Um, 
We absolutely are not saved by what we do. We're not saved by works. I'm not saying that at all. But true faith will always result in obedience to God's will. True faith will always result in obedience. Faith without works is dead, from James 2.17. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So looking at myself, I'll go, all right, am I really in the faith? Am I really doing what God is calling me to do? Am I being obedient to God? You know, Jesus talks about bearing fruit. That's not something he says, if you bear fruit, fruit is expected from us. You know, a vital part of seeing whether I'm in the faith, and I think for myself and for everyone else here, is to be in prayer, to know God's will, and then to be obedient to that will, even if it seems a little bit crazy. That tells a huge part of the story on how real my faith actually is. If you're not sharing that faith with others, ask yourself, again, really ask yourself, how important is my relationship with Jesus? Am I being obedient to Jesus? Am I sharing my faith? Examine yourself and see if you're in the faith. For many or for most of us, all of us, I think, a good test is look at how much and how effectively we're sharing the gospel. So, what's your story? You know, have you truly sought out God and asked the Holy Spirit to guide you into obedience? Or have you decided that sharing your faith is something you're just not good at or something that God's not calling you to? If you've been making excuses like I did in the past, I'll admit it, you know, right now is the time to stop. Fulfill the calling that God has given to you. Each and every one of us has a call. Fulfill that calling. You know, I don't know the exact details of what he's calling each and every person here to, but do know from the Bible that each one of us has a call. <clears throat> you know, maybe it's going to Uganda with me in June when I'm going back with Jem and I'm leading a trip there. Again, I'm building a team now. I'd love to talk with you about that. Or maybe going back to Boma with Harvest and Sea Partners. We're tentatively planning a trip for a year from now in February of next year. Remember, there's 12 guys and plenty of other people that need a whole lot more training there. Or... Maybe a trip to Haiti. You know, we've gone there numerous times. The country's closed right now, but many people from Harvest have gone there before. Maybe it's getting involved, and I mean really involved, with one of the missionaries on that magnet or one of the other organizations we, we work with. Um, Love, Inc. is not on the mag magnet. I guarantee Carol Schaefer wants help with Love, Inc. She always needs help there. There's always more to do. Uh, Ted was talking about how many people Donna is sending cards to in the correspondence. I know they would welcome more help with that. I guarantee it. Um, there's not a person on that magnet you look at today that wouldn't love to hear from you, wouldn't love to be supported by you, wouldn't love to have your help. Um, maybe it's giving generously to them or praying intensely for one or more of these. And I'll say this, intense intercessory prayer is absolutely crucial to evangelism and to missions. You have to be in prayer. You have to be looking for the will of God. You have to be listening to that call. You have to be in intense intercessory prayer. So it's my guess that God's calling you to more than you can maybe even imagine sitting here right now. You know, seek him and his calling for you and then respond to that calling. And we're going to give you a couple ways to respond to that call right now. Um, there's slips of paper in the aisles, kind of where the envelopes are and stuff. There's more slips of paper up here. And what we're going to ask you to do, if you have a calling, 
or you feel a calling, or maybe you don't know what that calling is and you're looking for it, write it down on one of those slips of paper. Bring it up here and tack it up onto this board. Our missions team, our church, our elders would love to be praying for you in that. But you have to decide. You have to pray and hear that calling from the Lord. Write it down. You don't have to put your name on it. And if you don't want to, you can put your name on it. That'd be great, especially if you want to talk to someone. But bring it forward any time during the music and just tack it up on that board. And we'd love to see that and be encouraged by that. But right now, just before I close, I want to invite uh, Leslie and Randy and uh, Brent and Karen just to come up forward for a moment and stand here because I'm going to get back to something that I said right at the beginning that's more important than anything else I've said. Um, we're going to actually ask all these, just in these first two rows, all these people will be sitting and basically sitting here to pray for you and pray with you. Because if you're here today and, again, don't know that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, it is absolutely not too late. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. Believe that he died and rose again to save you from your sin. And as the Bible says plainly, you will be saved. Accept Jesus as your Savior today. Don't delay. Come forward today and do this. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. So you can come forward now or when I'm closing in a short prayer or maybe when others are walking up with those slips of paper. If you want to be a little incognito, that's fine too. But uh, please come and sit and pray and talk about this because accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior is by far the most important calling that you will ever have. So, Father, this, give you praise and glory for your word, for your spirit, the way you equip us Father, just pray that as we leave here today or as we sit here and sing songs, that we'd be seeking your spirit, that we'd be seeking your will for us, and that we'd be responding to that will. Father, I give you praise and glory that each one of us that know Jesus as Savior is saved, and there's no doubt in that. And pray, Father, as we go out here, we would respond to your calling and share your love and your word with those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.